0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Hello, and with me, Kam Raslan, today we have The Returns Of. He is, he was, and this is be very important to know, he was the first Malaysian to be the creative director of an advertising agency.
2: Oh, nice it, that you remember. It's true.
1: That's quite a while ago. And uh, <clears throat> old advertising fellow, but he also does many other things now, as well as acting and oh, many, many things. Vernon Adrian Among. Thanks, Cam, for having me
2: back again. Oh,
1: it's a pleasure. And he uh, is the welcome return of, and this will be also important, uh, consultant with Nort Labs, which itself does marketing. Uh, He is Onkar Jin. Hello. Good to be back. Great to have you. And our three topics will be, topic number one is marketing. (laughs) And topic number two is the impetuousness of youth. And finally, uh, topic number three will be historical slavery in Southeast Asia. Ooh, I mean, what a range! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, number one, then marketing, and I and I kind of I bring this one up because I actually want to be educated on this, and it kind of it popped into my head. I was watching. There was a, I think it was a TikTok. Does one say, actually? Does one say a TikTok? A um, uh, TikTok. I was watching. I was host. watching TikTok. Right. Okay. And th- there was this guy being interviewed in America. An American. Um. um Assuming unassuming fella, and he's being asked um, what his net worth is, and he says, "Well, seventy-seven million US dollars." Like, Whoa, okay. So he wasn't. He had been an angel investor in, in things, including, I think, his big score was in Snapchat. Mm-hmm. And um, and then he was asked at the end, you know, what's what's the most important thing then in business, and he said marketing. He said, "You can sell absolute garbage, but if the marketing is good, people will buy it." Yep. And, and, and I just wanted more information. Because, yep. I mean, I've been involved in advertising. But um, for a start, I had a chat with uh, Karjin just now. That Advertising, you would say, is a subset of marketing. Karjin, is that? Is yeah, that... I would
0: say that nowadays, um, a marketing is all-encompassing in many ways. Advertising, branding, PR. It's all about the sell, I guess.
1: Yeah. And then, uh, Karjin, you would agree that you could um have absolute garbage and people will buy it if the marketing is right.
0: Well, unfortunately, yes. I mean, the most and I have to recommend people watch this documentary, read the book, watch read uh, listen to the podcast is Bad Blood, which is the story of Daranos and Elizabeth Holmes. Yes. Right? She literally had a star-spangled wonder machine that could Mm -hmm. Take a prick of your blood and be able to find out what diseases or genetic dispositions you had. And it was all complete nonsense. Mm -hmm. It was all a scam. And people from Bill Clinton to the biggest, like Walgreens and the biggest investment funds, poured in billions into her.
1: Mm. But, Vernon, back in in the day, Mm -hmm.
2: that, that kind of thing never happened, did it? pre-internet. Oh, it's always happened. Mm-hmm. You've heard of the phrase, uh, what, snake oil salesman? Yeah. Yep. It's uh, marketing is basically about creating desire. And if you know where people's weakest spots are in terms of what are they afraid of? What are they really wanting in their lives? What is it that uh, needs to be addressed? Then you will be able to come up with a marketing angle that just lands.
1: OK, so but once upon a time, when I, when I was growing up, when, when Vernon was growing up, uh, you know, there were three TV stations and there were a handful of radio stations. You're meeting us, Cam. No, no. <laughs> I, but, and there were a limited number of newspapers. And these were the outlets. OK, now the, the times have changed. So the thing you were talking about there, Vernon, about, you know, finding wants and all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. the, the, the the landscape is... Oh, yes, it's, it's, it's
2: more fragmented than it's ever been. You know, in that there are so many channels to um, send your message through. Right. Um, so now the uh, the actual challenge is to figure out how to, in a way, um, allocate your marketing spend so that it has the biggest you know buck, uh, biggest wallet whack for your bank, bang, bang, bang for, for your buck. buck. Gosh, right,
1: right, right. <laughs> so, Kajin, you um, I'm I'm going to assume though that the the new landscape actually gives an opportunity to create emotion better.
0: Absolutely, I mean the the I think what happens in TikTok in particular TikTok I think in particular is very very powerful in this is virality, right? So and within virality there's also an element of democracy. I suppose that anyone from some guy with a really horrible phone footage can get millions of views within a day or two if and it lands he, in a if it lands every yeah. lands, yeah. and and that algorithm is opaque that algorithm is mysterious in some ways on why one person rises and another falls um so so in terms of how we determine this and how we choose to use that marketing spend in these things it's it becomes a kind of race, arms race. Yes, yeah. It's all about weapons of mass distraction. Exactly. That, that that's a beautifully put way of putting it.
1: Yeah, but the uh, your clients don't, Kajin. They don't buy that kind of uh, you know. It, it, <laughs> the virality thing is opaque, rubbish. I mean, they, they, mm-hmm. they want to know. all right, I want a viral video, Kajin. Go make it now.
0: Well, in 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 my field, we can't guarantee virality. I mean, there are people who will guarantee virality. They pay for the clicks. That that is one way of guaranteeing certain statistics. And it
2: happened in the early days. Oh yeah, it still happens. I'm sure that there there are
0: so many services where you literally pay. They guarantee you like a few hundred thousand clicks, and you know eighty percent of those clicks are from click some click farm in Vietnam or Indonesia or even here in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. But
1: what? And I'm sure you tell the uh, client that, don't you?
0: Yes, of course. And but but what what for for I think for for marketing, as Vernon was saying, it's about bang for buck. but it's about how many people actually come to the table and give you your money, their money, and for that. The current landscape is that Yes, are so, it's so fragmented But mm-hmm. with that fragmentation There comes targeting You can be so incredibly specific I want a guy who works in TTDI mm-hmm. Is in his 40s And smokes this particular brand of cigarette At 4pm every day
1: and, and, then, and then you would say Okay, uh, Instagram your thing Say yeah, And you just throw all the money in there
0: yeah, you could do because
1: that. Because that guy, he's not going to be on uh, Twitter or, or Facebook or what have you.
0: Yeah, I mean, possibly, but you could, you could also have a wide variety. Met- like maybe you don't use Instagram, but maybe use TikTok and you or Google. Re-
2: yeah, and you must remember that these days there is big data. Mm. So um, segmentation in terms of targeting uh, can be, well, you know, uh, in a way evidential that you can actually prove that you're hitting that sweet spot. Um, But therein lies the big challenge is that whether or not the creativity that you develop, right, will work. Yeah, but like you know, a lot of what you're saying is just a pack of lies, though. Because I've, I've been in advertising. I
1: know that advertisers talk
2: lies to the clients, right? Mm-hmm. You know,
1: oh, we you know we, we we can prove that we have oh, this you, number. You're just
2: being cynical. You're just being cynical. No, because I've been you there. I've been in, been in, the, in the rooms. You haven't worked in the bowels of an advertising agency <laughs> where we are fighting with each other over what might be the better option. It's mad men out there. <laughs> yeah, it is. And there is a there is a deep. Battle that goes on in the bowels of agencies that really kind of like are serious about what the work that they do, and this is where sometimes the best marketing uh, is 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 born, and sometimes also it ha- it needs somebody with an insight. You know, like for instance, like what Yas, the late Yasmin Ahmad had done with her Petronas TV commercials that completely, completely flipped. Petronas from being a Malay oil company into a Malaysian oil company. And I know the story behind that. So for me, that story of how she made it happen is amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kaji, one day I'll I'll tell you about Yasmin Ahmad. (laughs) I I, I, I know Yasmin Ahmad. (laughs) I have seen her films. (laughs) (laughs) I have been to. (laughs) All right, okay. (laughs) Okay, well then I want to ask you, Vernon. um, You know, you are... Let's own it. You've you've been in the advertising game for a long time, right? Um, And, yeah, yeah. so um, many things are just a continuity, right? Sometimes we imagine there's newness when actually it's just the same again. But do you think that the the landscape now
2: is really foreign and alien to the one that you entered into? Oh, oh, completely transformed. Um, But the essentials are still there, you know, in terms of... uh, you know, the, the McCann Erickson has, uh, has this slogan called the truth well told, you know, where if you deep dig into the uh, attributes of a particular product or brand, you can come up with something that means a lot to more people than you thought at first. And, the, uh, and, and I'm, I'm sure even today, um, there might be things like uh, focus group studies and stuff like that. But the difference here is that uh, the spin is faster. Because of technology, so campaigns are just being spat out. and I think it takes a lot of uh, how shall I say intuition, experience, um study um to make sure that campaigns really land. That is the big challenge,
1: okay. well, then Kajun, just to finish then uh, can you can you can you describe? the the dynamic inside the bowels of your advertising agent? <laughs> uh, and, and does it sound like what Vernon's talking about? Or is it just like, oh, I don't know, just do a bit of Snapchat, press button, spend, throw money, find, find influencer, have them hold up a bottle of whatever it is you're selling?
0: No, no, I mean... What you're saying is absolutely right. It's a lot of influencers. It's a lot of looking at dashboards and, you know, pressing <laughs> pressing buttons. That's absolutely true. But within that, there is incredible competition. and And the advertising industry is full of cutthroat competition and full of very, well, I mean... It's full of lies in many ways. Yes, it is. Thank you. I mean, uh, well,
2: <laughs> yes, there no, is. I will you've agree had you with say.
0: that. You've had
1: your say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: I, yeah. I will agree Sorry, with. No, no, no.
1: Kajin, tell me about <laughs> the lies.
0: No, no, no. I mean, and, and what I mean by that is that there is there are like very big incentives for advertising firms to overstate their performance, mm-hmm. right? So, and and there's a lot of nuance within this where what is an impression what is reach what is a click and yeah a lot the, of yeah new you know, terminology there's a this. lot of new terminology mm-hmm. and it's it is difficult for people to pass through A lot of noise within this to
1: find signals. Yeah. And it it must be so much fun, also. Most of your clients are in their 50s and they have no idea what's going on. So. uh, Well, that brings us to our next. Right. Uh, (laughs) um, Okay, let's move on. Uh, Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, you, though. I I feel I've learned something um, about marketing. Uh, You just want to hear the lies part, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, thank you. Um, Sorry, we move on. We move on, and an unlikely person is going to take topic number two, which is the impetuousness of youth. Vernon
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm just using that as a starting point But I just want to talk about youth And um, the power that lies within um, Yeah, okay So I'm way past my youth I think I've been way past my youth twice over already mm. um, And I just want to give a heads up to people my age To really listen in Because the intergenerational um, dialogue has gone awry And, um, you know, people are saying young people don't know what they're doing. uh, They have no experience, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but if you don't listen to the youth, you'll be doing the same old, same old day in, day out for the rest of your life. It's the uh, it's the young energy that comes in, sees things from a different perspective, unjaded, Mm -hmm. completely, in a way, reacting to stuff that uh, is more innocent and freer of an agenda than it would normally be with an older person so this is the reason why i wanted to talk about youth and the you know what is considered the impetuousness is actually a good thing because it's coming from a place that is probably more principled Hmm. and less in a way uh opportunistic you know and I guess, yeah. So I'd like to speak up for the youth today. Okay. I oh. are you... Uh... I mean,
0: I, I, mean, I, I don't know. I, I feel like in every kind of historical cycle, every generation you know you hear the same thing oh these kids they're stuck to the radio with Elvis Presley they don't know what they're talking about and then oh they're protesting the Vietnam war like what's wrong with them they yeah. don't know their country so I feel like it is a kind of recurring kind of generational um, cycle right that always happens um, I think what, what's interesting is that perhaps you need this dynamic mm-hmm. for the youth to be impetuous Right? Mm -hmm. Like, you need the old fogies to be like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about, to provide that counter push for young people to be like, nah. I'm you know, no, do I do think the way.
2: mostly old people are just screwing it up. <laughs> <laughs> and the young people and young-minded people like me are fed up and want to change. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, it just so happens I've been spending uh, about a 1,000 pages in the company of the, of the, of the young Beatles, mm. uh, reading a fantastic book about them. And I'm, I've just got to the point where, like, Ringo Starr is having his 20th birthday, and he was the oldest of all of them. So it's, it's really f- interesting to be... Uh, yeah, I mean, in my mind, these characters are so much older, but but I've just now. been stuck. Yeah, but now I'm just, like, immersed in their 19-ness. Yeah, and
2: imagine if, you know, yes, they worked really hard at what they were doing, you know, and they came up with uh, groundbreaking compositions that completely transformed the way music would be enjoyed, listened to, and consumed. Well, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I would assume that somebody spotted uh, their brilliance and gave them
1: a chance. Well, and somebody spotted the brilliance, but also there was there was a groundswell of more young people because it was a mm-hmm. baby boomer age, so there were suddenly lots of young people. it. Yeah, and, but, and they but, bought but into it was
2: recognised, you know, by, by the young people. Before it could be yeah. you know, thrown out of the bathwater. Well, no, so
1: absolutely, speak. but the, the 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 situation that you describe, where old people are saying, "Oh, this is rubbish; it'll never work," and back in my day, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it kind of was sort of the first time that it happened. There's um, yeah. So, yeah it, uh, but the big, first time you had teenagers for the first time so we we now we now market to teenagers we mm. we 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 need to listen to because they're consumers mhm uh we need to
2: listen to what they say yes um but we- I mean, you, we, we can't just like diss them off or discount them or whatever. We just need to get, you know, I was thinking about how intergenerational, the intergenerational conversation is like an intercultural conversation because they are seeing things from a different perspective. And they the frame from which they see things are less jaded, um, less, as I mentioned before, I mean, like uh, uh, there is less of an agenda, hmm. but there is just like, you know, shooting for, I mean, you know, we do know that youth are more idealistic than older people. So there's that sense of like, a, in a way, you know, a, a, a vision that maybe us older people with failing eyesight can't see.
1: Well, OK, um, it sounds very romantic. Kajin, are you are you on board <laughs> with that? Because uh, you're the representative the youth in uh, this
0: room. Uh, no, I, I don't think I qualify anymore. The other day, um, one of my interns he's born after the 2000s, said, oh, I was talking about social media and Instagram. And he said, oh yeah, you people born in the 1900s still are on Instagram. (laughs) I was like,
2: 1900s? (laughs) Like
1: what?
0: (laughs) I was born in the 1990s, for God's sakes. (laughs) Don't lump in with everybody else (laughs) there. But but, but, uh, I I do think that there's something to be said about this idealism. But I do wonder it's also because of... like right now it's very fragmented so you will have people like Facebook is considered only people above their 40s mm. use Facebook right Instagram is people who are millennials essentially and TikTok is the era of Gen Z I was looking at the statistics and in Malaysia the number of users for TikTok is 60% of them or something like that are below the age of 28
2: mm. right So 60% yeah yeah, I guess because of the uh, of the what, what TikTok lends itself to which is mm-hmm. video so that mm-hmm. you need to have time to edit and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And I think there is a very different sensibility with each platform in terms of the kind of messaging the kind of um, feel they put out about their view of the world and what works and what doesn't that then lends itself to these different attitudes. I would challenge you, Vernon to maybe oh, consume just TikTok for you a think, month, you think I don't have a TikTok account? I don't know. I believe you do, but only TikTok. Stop reading the Edge and stop listening to BFM for a month. Just listen who to who TikTok. Who listens to BFM anymore?
1: Anyway? <laughs> uh, <laughs> see what happens. I mean, you're saying that there's sixty percent who are on TikTok. They they are only on TikTok. You saying that?
0: I mean, no, no, they're on other platforms, but TikTok is really the main one.
2: And I think that, there is awful. a very different but, sensibility to TikTok. Yeah, and it feeds into Instagram and Facebook feeds. So, you know, and even into Twitter. So so its pervasiveness is quite amazing.
1: But I think that Kajin is describing, if you are immersed in in one hellscape only, mm. well, I
2: mean, it's not hellscape, that's unfair,
1: but but one medium where you're just saturated and, and mm. just you get that rhythm only. Uh, then you will think in a particular way. Can I ask a question though? You know, again, going back to this book with the Beatles thing, right? That that the the, the generalisation was then that young people were just old people. They dressed like old people. They were just old people <laughs> who hadn't yet become old, right? Mm-hmm. Before, and then there became the teenage revolution. So, um, but now are we in a situation with this fragmentation whereby? Uh, these just different generations are not actually meeting each other, not never
2: conversing with each other at all. Well, in a sense, yeah, because uh, it's it's once again it comes down to culture, the cultural uh, analogy, where you will stick to your own group because you're comfortable in them, you think you understand them. Um, the the intercultural or cross cultural uh, engagement will be lesser. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of peer self education.
1: Is that, I mean, you know, mm. nineteen-year-olds are te- teaching teaching other nineteen-year-olds how to be,
2: how to be. Well, that's one assumption you can make, but I'm sure there are a lot of young people, you know, studying us yeah. and wondering why <laughs> we're doing what we're doing. No, but Joe Rogan, okay, mm-hmm. Joe
1: Rogan. Uh, I was I was talking to a parent the other day, and I was, and he was saying, yeah, yeah, my, my son's really keen on this Joe Rogan guy, and I was saying, yeah, you think you're your son's father. You, and you're you're raising your son. No, Joe Rogan is raising your son.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. He's the one who's actually teaching them how to be a or, man. Or Peppa Pig. <laughs> well,
2: you, that, you said that to the father. Yeah, and because I, I think that he, you know, <laughs> so you're what trying to do what to this poor guy who's trying to be a father.
1: <laughs>
2: no, because it. No, I just think that uh, I didn't have my, my father wasn't
1: around. You know, growing up, and I think I would I would love to have a person who. I can actually have a conversation with, right. and sit with. Well, you with. have a
2: conversation with me.
1: Okay, father. <laughs> 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 not my real father. I know nobody talks to you, but I'll be available. All right, yeah. so we'll wrap this one up. And so, um, <laughs> Van, you get the last word. Uh, youths, um, the kids are united and they'll never be divided, and
2: are okay by you. Oh no, I just feel that as older people, including um. Kajin, right? Uh, uh, you yeah, totally. should just Born kind of, of like, in the 1900s. <laughs> listen, listen, and not be triggered by the fact that they are different from us. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is, right. you're listening to The Three Uncles on, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, uh, on uh, Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. Don't change that dial, because <laughs> my radio radiogram has a dial on it. Um, and uh, back in a moment here on BFM 89.9. And we're back with the three three uncles. <laughs> um, all born in the 1900s. <laughs> 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 on a bit of culture on BFM 89.9. I don't know, Vernon, maybe the 1800s. <laughs> oh, thank <you> very much. <laughs> we're not sure. But we are actually going to travel back to even beyond the 1800s to maybe the 1500s Indeed. Uh, when we. Uh, talk about top number three, which is uh, slavery in Southeast Asia.
0: Yeah, I, I just thought it was a very fascinating thing because I was reading um, some papers on slavery, especially in the Malacca Sultanate in that era. And, you know, it just struck me how pervasive it was. Um, I think one thing to understand, though, a caveat is that Southeast Asian slavery is not the same kind of slavery as like Atlantic American mm. slavery, right? We weren't putting people in chains and whipping them around, um, they were mostly debt bondage, or, but many of them were also kidnapped. So we have historical records that say, that literally state that um, um, the Malay sultans would order the Orang Lawud to go forth into the islands around yeah. and kidnap people to work in the fields of Malacca, right? And I just think it's very interesting how, when we deal with that history, mm-hmm. We, I, we are very uncomfortable with mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. because it's much easier to say, oh, yeah, the Americans and the British were like the evil ones and mm-hmm. ho, ho, ho. But to reckon with our own kind of legacy of slavery, I think is really interesting.
1: Absolutely. Uh, you, you say it was not, you know, people being chained up and um, whipped and stuff, but actually there would have been that. Um, mm. But one of the aspects of slavery... So... Uh, Tunku Abdul Rahman, there's a wonderful book called The, uh, the Tunku Tapes, it's Conversation. And he talked about how in his childhood, and that would have been in, I don't know, 1880s even? Uh, he was a pretty old man. He, had, he remembers being carried on the shoulders mm. uh, of this fellow, very dark-skinned, he said. Um, and he was a slave. Mm. And um, he presumably had come from Africa. And he had no, Tunku had no idea how this person had come there, but he was a sort of a beloved member of the household. Um, so even into our own times, slavery is the case.
2: Uh, Vernon, you uh, you ever come across? Uh... Well, I've uh, have I come across stories. I mean, like there was there was this uh Serrani, Eurasian Singaporean scholar um, who put up his uh, who'd, who'd done his genealogy, and uh, way back into three generations back. Um, he showed how his four mothers or forefathers were slaves, mm. and I found that really interesting. So it's the, therefore when would that have been? That's probably, probably about yeah, oh. 1800s, 1700s. Mm. Mm. You know And uh, it was they were freed slaves. They mm. were basically uh, freed slaves. So then it made me think about perhaps maybe even my own um, genealogy and thinking that, wow, um, it'd be interesting to figure out if um, I did have slaves in my ancestry. Um, so it has been at the back of my mind to figure out this whole idea of uh, what it meant to people back then to have slaves. Um, then it made me think about when I was in primary, when I was a younger child, and uh, we had what was known as, of course, it's not the politically correct words to, to use now, but we referred to them as servants, hmm. right? And uh, I remembered that my parents went to um, a rubber plantation, to ask if there were young women right who would want to work with us and uh, when I think back it was almost like kind of a weird uh, indentured labor kind mm-hmm. of thing um, because the servants would be of course given board and lodging and food and toiletries and stuff um, and I remember that the salary was like thirty Ringgit a month well, That was a lot though wasn't it? Back then In my day In my uh, Childhood Yeah it, uh, I don't know it Probably yeah. was yeah, yeah it Probably was Yeah
1: Because then also you had um, the, the Chinese The coolies mm. who, who were here And they worked for The Dalke mm. And they had to they, they could have been paid Only once a year Hmm. And so they took everything from the company store. They signed for it, and then when payday came, it was discovered they actually owned the talkee money. Oh no! <laughs> and so they became essentially slaves. Indentured servitude, wow. essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which still happens today, if you ask me. Well, absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but Kajin, I've seen, I have seen uh, Twitter battles hmm. over the issue of how dare you say that my people were slave owners um, it, for in Malaysia. Right. And so yeah, it it, it does make people very, very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think, but it, you know, all this is in the historical record. I mean, you know, the the undang laut undang undang laut Malacca, which is one of the most uh, it's the earliest Malay one text. of the earliest legal documents we have of mm. of Malacca the Malacca Sultanate. Has a whole chapter on the treatment of slaves, mm-hmm. and he has like whole chapters about how SOPs. You mean SOPs? Yeah, wow. SOPs and Which like is nice, um, um, yeah. I mean, it does lay the groundwork for a rule of conduct, but it says yeah. things, for example, that uh, if you kill a slave and uh, if you kill someone else, the punishment for you is to be killed in return by the state mm-hmm. or you uh, the other person who is the aggrieved party can kill you without consequence but if you kill a slave there's no capital punishment of any sort
1: is there punishment though
0: um there's like uh, you have to pay basically to, who, to, whom? to the slave owner so
1: essentially Obviously if you kill someone else's slave. slave
0: yeah if you right. kill your own slave there is some kind of fine that you have to pay to the state as well because i think they just didn't want you to Two terribly mistreated yeah, slaves, yeah. I suppose. But, you know, they, they have all these um, uh, rules of conduct about slavery. And it was said that in and documents as well that say that in the time of the Malacca Sultanate, the measure of someone's wealth was not their income. Was not their clothes, was not the amount of land they owned, but rather the number of slaves and servants they had at their
1: disposal. Absolutely, people, entourage.
0: Yes, it was measured by the labor force you had in at your back and call.
1: But that's also because there really wasn't. But (laughs) but in those days there really wasn't a currency, and there certainly weren't banks, Mm. so you couldn't you couldn't hoard your wealth. You had to just spend it such as it was. You had to and, – and display it. And the best way to display it is in people. Yeah. So you have um, – you know, if you're a guy who can have another guy carry an umbrella over your head <laughs> down the streets of Malacca, y- you're the best guy in town. Yeah. And, and if you have an entourage and – uh well this doesn't happen anymore in the society <laughs> but if you have an entourage that is the way to show your 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 wealth Well it
2: does happen these days I mean like no. your social media <laughs> following if you're an influencer you know not in that's politics wealth. though <laughs> no, no, no. <clears throat>
1: But can I just say that there there is one so uh you know in the his, in the history uh the Mal- Malaccan sultan this this was a trade um Empire. I mean, mm-hmm. not, I'm not just saying Malacca. I mean, just yep. the whole of Southeast yep. Asia. Maritime trade. Maritime trade. So everything was a commodity. Yeah. Unless it wasn't. If someone didn't want to buy your coconuts, then... then Sell them sleeves. <laughs> well, that's another no, thing. No, no, it's, it's yeah, true. It it's, was a
0: commodity to be traded in.
1: Yeah. But but that commodity actually increased in value when, when the Europeans came and then they that the, there was an increase then in plantations of mm. nutmeg and mm. mace, well, nutmeg and mace, the same thing, cloves, et cetera. When the plantations started growing, you had people at like the Bugis, who were actually, you know, my forebears, um, then having plantations, this is where they were, they were chained and whipped.
0: Yep, yep. And, and they would kidnap people.
1: It, it was an uncomfortable life. So then you had slavery go into another gear, mm. which actually uh, Southeast Asia had not seen before. Mm-hmm because the trade networks had been broken, and it was now about plantations.
0: Yeah. I mean, you you also have to remember that, basically, at this point, when we're moving to a plantation economy, it's also around the same time that the Haitian Revolution occurred, mm-hmm. which then basically, I mean, it was the largest, most successful slave revolt in that time, and that is was a big push in pushing the British to abolish slavery. But, of course, that then morphed into the Kangani system, the contract worker system, the coolie system that essentially was just an economic form of uh, indentured servitude that it, it was a mess.
1: Yeah, and the British were a bit quite slippery on um, mm. on this. So they actually, and this made them very popular, they actually did uh, break the, the coolie indentured labor slavery thing. Because the British made a big deal about themselves being anti-slavery culture mm. ever since the American Revolution. Yep. So they lost the, 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 the plantations in, in America. So suddenly, oh, we hate slavery. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that was perhaps maybe the, the rise of the banking industry uh, such that – I don't know. I'm kind of like spinning out here on the, what I'm hearing. Yeah. Um, but now the bank's owners –
1: yeah, no. I mean, work itself
2: is—I mm-hmm. mean, uh,
1: metaphorically, money, money. Yeah, money yeah. is mm-hmm. w- is making us slaves. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: that's, that's very metaphorically. metaphorically though, account. I mean, I, yeah.
1: you know, the life—the life, the life is—you can't—you can't compare the lives. though. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think something that's interesting about if you if you read these documents about the labor force of Malacca and who really stayed there, you, you realize that Malacca itself was a very concentrated city-state. Mm-hmm. And then it had all these hinterlands where, you know, a lot of the farming and all that is happening. Yeah. And most of the migrant, the, the the labor force is actually migrant labor or slaves or indentured servitude of some sort. It makes me think of, you know, Dubai today in the UAE and how does you know, a very small citizenry that are very well off Mm. and then hordes of migrant workers who Mm. really are the backbone of the economy.
1: Okay. So how do we reconcile ourselves with this dark
0: past? I mean... I I don't think we have to exist in this spectrum of black and white, right? Mm, Where it's, I mean, you know, like where the British have to be evil. Like, Mm. I mean, yeah, sure. Um, Back then, that (laughs) was the way it was done. Yeah, Yeah. but I, I think we can acknowledge that there were problems in our society, and, to and th- there will and, always be And there will always be And that legacy of economic servitude Actually still very much lives on In a different
2: form In a yeah. different form in Malaysia But it
1: wasn't a problem in From their perspective back then
2: Like it's not a problem It's your problem now, it's But if we unpack it Then we can see maybe how it might be damaging us mm-hmm. I mean I always thought it was yeah. very
0: interesting you know it was like I remember learning in Sajara class like oh yeah you know uh, Maharaja Leila revolted against the resident because the resident was like no no slavery mm-hmm. and I was like wait what I, I remember asking my teacher uh, eh, what, why is that a bad thing huh? and then the teacher was <laughs> like um, and then like literally skipped over my question because I mean uh, the teacher just didn't know how to talk about Yeah. yeah, yeah. so i feel like maybe we should learn how to To talk about these things absolutely right to have these
1: conversations
2: i just finished reading a book actually mm. about
1: the history of the caribbean Mm. and it was talking about it was describing kind of the the barbarity actually Mm. that it actually instilled in the white population Mm. was horrific Mm. because they had nothing to stop them doing whatever they wanted to human beings Female human beings in particular, hmm. and and so you just had this uh, atrocious, illiberal zone where anything could happen.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's why we have governments, and you know, I guess in order because man left to his own devices um, hmm. may never ever do the right. Well, not never ever, but might never might not do the right thing for you know reasons hmm. only known to him. Hmm. So, so
1: uh, is it's. it's these things should be tackled head on you then
2: yeah why not I mean
0: I do think that the way we deal with these issues is a kind of we want to paint like these histories as hero and villain stories I think we just need to get away from those and just acknowledge that people are imperfect then and they're perfect. now
1: I agree entirely so uh, we move on though Um, we're going to move on from uh, slavery Uh, two (laughs) recommendations (laughs) Uh, we recommend something we think might be of interest I go first and so my recommendation complete contrast to slavery is wham uh I will tell you later what Wham were. Uh, no, I'll tell you now. So <laughs> there's a documentary on Netflix about Wham, the band Wham from the early 80s, mm-hmm. uh, George Michael. Wake me up before you go, go. Yeah, wake me up before
0: mm-hmm. you go, go. Okay, okay, okay. Don't... I know that one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're, you know music. Yes, Jan. yes. Yeah. And um, But it's just a really good uh, documentary.
2: It's, okay. It's, I'll look out for it.
1: Yeah, and it's, um, it just reminded me how good George Michael and mm. Wham were, but what a great songwriter George mm. Michael was, and what a really nice pair of guys. And I was around at the time, being born in the 1700s, <laughs> and uh, and I, I really liked Wham and George Michael. I never really bought anything; I was far, I was far too cool for that kind of thing. But um, I, I really, I really like them. And um, and so the impetuousness of youth, mm-hmm. uh, Vernon. Yep. I mean, they were nineteen.
2: Yep. And and and, and an older person noticed them. And give them a platform, amplify their talent, and boom. So that's what we should be doing more of rather than grumbling about the young not knowing how to do things. Because, of course, they have no experience. Anyway, yeah, back yeah, on my topic, yeah. sorry. Um, but when young people saw
1: these young people, it was just instant kind of explosion. Yeah. Mm. It was like, oh, Connection. my God, that's us. That's yeah. a con- that I want yeah. that. Yeah. And um, so, yeah. So my recommendation is
2: Wham! Mm. on netflix it's really good okay i'll look out for it
1: yeah
2: so uh vernon what's your recommendation uh i have in front of me um a book uh called my mother patu by sarah smanikam um she's the winner of the 2019 commonwealth short story prize asia malaysian writer and uh, she just released this book which is basically a collection of her short stories um the book is entitled my mother patu um under the penguin label and uh Basically, I'd like to recommend it because it's a, it's a look into, into a Malaysian community that, you know, most of us um, might be alien to us. It's the, Indian, it's the Malaysian-Indian community. Um, and so I want for especially non-Indian Malaysians, non-Indian listeners, to perhaps maybe uh, actually engage in this cross-cultural. Endeavor by picking up the book and you know getting into it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'd like to recommend. Um, a cross-cultural um, engagement through a short story anthology um, by Saras um, Manikam.
1: I've I've read uh, the short story that she wrote for the mm-hmm. prize. Um, I have not yet read this. <clears throat> My mother Patu. My mother S- Patu. Uh, Saras. Manicum. Manicum. And the other day, you wouldn't know this one, but we did uh, Book Blob here on A Bit of Culture, okay. which is talking about covers of books, and they're all the same. It's just mm. this blobs of color. And Saras's cover is not that. Uh, it's an actual image that I think mm. uh, evokes what's inside the book. Yeah, it's a beautiful
2: cover. Yeah, it's yeah, one yeah. of the nicest covers of Leeds that I've seen on local books. Yeah. And that's
1: on uh, Penguin, Southeast Asia. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Kajin.
2: Um,
0: I want to recommend a movie called Prey, as in P R E Y. Okay. And don't 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 knock it. I'm we It's
1: yeah. it's
0: um <laughs> it's about the predator, as in aliens vs. predator, as in Arnold Schwarzenegger predator. And I know, Elf late, there have been horrendous movies mm-hmm. in the predator franchise, but this one is actually excellent. It's tight, it's gripping, it's less than an hour and a half and it's basically resets, it's a prequel to the entire franchise and it's set in 1700s America while you know the French and and the Pilgrims are still running around. Oh wow! And oh, it's about. You should have started with that. That yes. would have got me straight yes. away. Yes, <laughs> and the French and Pilgrims are still running around, but it's not about the French and the Americans. And I mean, the, well, the American. It's about a Native American tribe, a Comanche tribe, and this is one of the only movies ever done that is that you can watch entirely in the Comanche language. Mm-hmm. And oh, wow! It's about this tribe which encounters the predator, and has to survive. And it's super. The action scenes are excellent, right. and there is a beautiful scene. that I think is so evocative and 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 sort of chilling. Um, mm. This is not a. It is a little bit of a small spoiler, spoiler. Yeah. but essentially there is one scene where um, the main character she is kind of following a trail, yeah, and she's like, "Oh, something something's wrong here," and she can see like just crows just like a mass cloud of crows just circling around. And she's in the forest, and then she merges out into a plain. And in this plain, you see nothing but hundreds of dead buffalo, bison, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, the um, it was well known that the white settlers, they would... Kill bison. In the, million. In, the uh, in, in the yeah, in, in the hundreds of thousands just to deny for sport and to deny Native Americans a food source. Mm. So mm. it's an absolutely chilling scene where you just see all this and you can see the, the main character just has this look of despair and also this this look of why would someone <laughs> just do this? Yeah. I think that's one of the most powerful. Portrayals of this period of time. But it's a Predator movie uh, on screen. Uh,
2: who directed it?
0: Ah, uh, I, I, I well uh, it's, known? it's a well known guy. He did, mm. um, American Hollywood. Yeah, American Hollywood action. Um, it's, it's 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 skipping me
2: right yeah, now. and
1: and you know we can't you no know, we don't do yeah, Google. Yeah, yeah, in, I got to resist the, the Google. I yeah, got to yeah, yeah. resist <laughs> the Google. Yeah. It's, um, well, it's, well, that's, it's
2: running in the movies in the theaters. So so the
0: the thing is it was released in 2022 where we all okay. locked down mm-hmm. and it was released direct to Hulu. Mm-hmm. Which is why it was never eligible for nominations, oh, and mm. uh, you know, and why a lot of people have not heard of it. But it is an excellent, gripping movie that's really short. I mean, less than an hour and a half. Of these days, it's is a great.
1: Yeah, one. it actually is never a good sign if a movie actually comes out under an hour and a half. It usually means. That the studio thought it wasn't going to do well. But w- what you have described sounds amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, I,
0: it's amazing, I honestly. So. And I did not expect it at all from a Predator movie.
1: Cool. So they're yeah. finding Predator with muskets and uh, tomahawks and bows and arrows.
0: Yep, yep. And, and the way she deals with the Predator at the end... <laughs>
1: It's, no, it's, no. it's a it's a okay,
0: great callback to the original Anna Schwarzenegger movie yeah, cool. and she basically deals with it with ingenuity and it's completely plausible she doesn't like get any superpowers or anything it's just like being
1: smart about right. your environment cool right. because that Alien vs. Predator movie is one of the worst films oh, I've ever seen. horrible that was so bad <laughs> um Okay, cool. I'm going to move that up. Okay, so well, that brings us into this week's show, and it only reminds me now to thank um, Vernon, Adrian, Amon. Thank you. Th- thank you. Wonderful. And uh, Uncle Onkar Jin. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. The old
0: man in the room. Did, yeah, did, born in the <laughs> 1900s. Did, 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 that,
1: did that young guy actually call you uncle or anything?
0: No, 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 no. I hope not. The,
1: day, the day's coming, isn't the it? The day's coming. <laughs> yeah. And uh, myself, Cam Russell, and please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM
0: 89.9.
1: You have been listening to a podcast
2: from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.